Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What is up, all of my beautiful freaking people? Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. Today's episode, we are bringing on Miss Brienne Davis. She is an actress and most recently an author and all-around wonderful woman and human being. And we are going to dive in to the female perspective of something we have talked about before on this show, and that is sex addiction. Sit back, grab a drink. We are going there with Miss Brienne. Welcome to FML Talk. Oh my God. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe that shit? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. I did not in chapter six. <gasps> he did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on her Instagram? And this is FML Talk. Oh, no, she didn't. Okay, everybody. So it was important to me after we had Mike Cawson on for his episode, uh, which actually we ended up breaking into two episodes, that we brought a female on that could speak on sex addiction. And she's not only recovered, but she has held true to her recovery. And her story is really inspirational and really beautiful to witness her journey and her growth and her insights and the difference of what a sex addiction looks like for her in particular in comparison to the one we looked at with Mike. I do want to preface the fact that Brienne and I recorded this episode um, before some recent events took place in our friend Jana's life. Um, I have been in touch with Jana. I have told her that my FMLers are all sending her prayers, sending her love, and she's doing really good. And don't worry, we will be eventually recording a follow-up episode for you guys. Um, It's just a matter of finding the time to do that. Um, But we did record this before all of that went down. Um, And now looking back on all of it, it's really interesting to see how Brienne's story is so very different than the one that Mike shared with us and and spoke about. Um, It's technically the same addiction, but their traits within that addiction are very different. And it was really insightful to hear from Brienne's perspective the way she identified um, having that addiction. And I think a lot of people listening will relate to different aspects of what she was chasing after in her life um, and really resonate with some of the feelings and hurt places that that stemmed from. I know I did in a lot of ways. And she's just a wonderful human being and she's very, very fun. I'm also so proud of her because I mentored her throughout her self-publishing journey and her book, Secret Life of a Hollywood Love and Sex Addict is now available and has hit the bestsellers rank multiple times. Um, And I know some of you guys have seen me post about it on my story. I know a bunch of my 
readers and listeners have DM'd me that they read it and loved it. And uh, we're going to dive into all the things, guys. It's it's a really wonderful journey that she's been on, and I can't wait to share it with you. So without further ado, Miss Brianne Davis. Miss Brianne Davis, welcome to FML Talk, girl. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Yay! I'm so proud of the fact that you have put this incredible book out into the world and we're going to get to all that later but I'm more so excited to just talk to you because as you know I did an episode with Mike Cawson who's our our mutual friend Jana's husband and he is open about his you know sex addiction and his recovery Um, so I'm really really excited to dive in with you and get the female perspective on all of that. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I saw he was on your show and we have such a different, like his behavior and my behavior is so different, but we're in the same world of, you know, sex and love addiction and all that. So I am excited to share my experience, strength, and hope. Yes, I love that. Okay, so let's just dive the fuck in, girl, and rip the band-aid off. Um, Take me back to the beginning and where it all began. Oh my God. So I guess if I was like going to go back at a very young age, I saw movies and things way too young that I shouldn't have seen. So my favorite movie that I loved growing up at like six and seven was Romeo and Juliet. And I remember Mm. seeing the main actor's butt because their love scene. And I was like, oh my God, that is a nice ass. Ah. At (laughs) such a young age, I saw that ass and I was like, that's a good ass. And then at the end of the movie, I remember thinking, wait, that's what real love looks like. It has to be so passionate. One or two people have to be willing to die for each other. Like Mm. somebody's got to like drink some poison or stab themselves or, you know, I think they were only together for two days. So I had this unrealistic view of what real love looked like. Mm -hmm. So I carried that on and what happened, and somebody asked me this the other day, like what was that moment if you could go back and change? When I was in eighth grade, I was had a boyfriend as much as you could have a boyfriend and mm-hmm. his friend I was in, I walked in the closet at this party right and his friend came in after me and shut the door and I turned around as like a little like eighth grader like I don't know what's going on mm-hmm. and he walked towards me and he kissed me and girl I'm not kidding you my entire body was like on fire and mm. since that moment I have been chasing that like cheating secrets dirty high attached to my sexuality mm. so that was wow. the beginning of the end that okay and I've been so doing it, it since <laughs> that yeah that's wild that it started so young and I so identify with some of the stuff that you said I was just talking a couple episodes ago about how I realized that the that high I felt in my relationship with Javier was toxic and I didn't realize that but in that relationship it defined what I now knew as love and it was toxic so I think it's so crazy that that started for you at such a young pivotal age where you're like oh this is what I should be chasing my entire life yeah I mean it was so intoxicating I wish you could know you remember people always say like heroin addicts or alcoholics when they have that first drink that high they felt that like intoxication is what we chase and I didn't know for a long time every relationship I had I was chasing that and as soon as that like infatuation butterflies the moment you know the falling in love feeling as soon Mm -hmm. as that waned which you know always happened at like a year for me 
I would be like, oh, this is not real love. And I would Mm. be searching and intriguing and flirting and using people, using men in my life to give me that attention. And when I found someone that like, oh, now I'm getting high with this person, I would overlap the relationships instead of being, you know, like, hey, I'm not that into you anymore. Right. Because I was a scared, like, I didn't want to be abandoned, but then I didn't want to abandon them. It was this weird, crazy, like, addict behavior I was doing. Where do you think your fear of abandonment comes from? Oh, my parents, 100%. I mean, how much therapy I've done. I've done eight years of therapy on top of being in a 12-step program for Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. But I remember my dad and my mom hated each other. Like, I Mm. never saw a healthy relationship. I never saw a man and a woman hold hands, kiss. They didn't sleep in the same bed together. My parents didn't. So I never had a modeled healthy relationship. And I always saw my dad, like, abandoning my mom emotionally. Mm. And I just remember looking at him going, I'm never going to let somebody do that to me. Like, I'm never going to have both feet in the relationship because I don't want this to happen to me. Right. Right. Summer is here and life is not slowing down for us anytime soon. One of the things we have continuously relied on making our lives so much easier is factor meals. No prep, no mess, no cleanup meals. I have really been off the wagon with my eating since having my son, and for my health, my wellness, and my mental sanity, I have been switching my dinners to more healthy options from Factor. They have 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, so I never get bored. And Tay is continuously shocked every time he sits down to eat one because they are so freaking tasty. They have breakfast, lunches, dinners, and desserts. It's a treat to have restaurant-quality food that is so easy to prepare and doesn't come with the insane Postmates bill. Head to factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 and use code FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code FMLtalk50 at factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy, FMLers. So... Okay, so you went through all of this and it started to manifest when you were an adult getting into, you know, regular relationships. What was the first relationship you had where you were like, oh, this is a fucking problem? Oh, girl, I think all my relationships were a fucking problem. (laughs) (laughs) Because I would pick people that I could have power and control over. It wasn't even like, oh, is this person compatible with me? I mean, my high school boyfriend, he was a drug dealer in the South. And it was like, we were like these two blonde, you know, drug, he was a drug dealer. And I was like, he was like giving me the money. And it was just so toxic. And we were together for 10 years on and off, me and oh, my wow. high school boyfriend. Yeah, it was pretty uh, uh, codependent, I would say. Um, he came from a bad family. And, you know, my family wasn't like the most stable. So, we really leaned on each other and we became best friends. And so when that moment of not getting high from him anymore, I got another boyfriend in high school and he was in college. So for I had a boyfriend for two two boyfriends for two years. So oh my God. And like, did did either of them know about the other? 
Uh, yeah, I got caught three times, like bold okay. face caught. Like, and then here's the thing: I was such a good liar. I would manipulate and be like, "No, you didn't see that. No, uh, we were just friends." Like, I would just right. talk my way out of it and drive them crazy. I mean, you were gaslighting them. Pretty much, I was totally gaslighting them. And be like, "No, no, no, I didn't do that. That wasn't me. You saw something you didn't really see." Right? I mean, Wild. <laughs> It Which is crazy. exhausting, even at such so a young exhausting. age. <laughs> okay, so eventually, when you when you leave them, wh- when was it that you came to LA to start pursuing acting? Well, I waited for a year after high school because I had to, you know, get money and so I could come and move out here. And I was working in Atlanta at the time, and I was still with my high school boyfriend that I was on and off with, and. He came out to visit me in L.A. and I was already starting to date somebody else, of course, you know, behind his back. And he came out and said, I'm going to move out here. Like, we can get a house. We can, you know. And I remember he told me this at the airport when he was leaving to go back to Atlanta. And I looked at him and I said, I can't do this anymore. Like, I had this consciousness come in that I wasn't ever aware Mm -hmm. of. And I just, like, I have to let him go. Like, I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. And that was, like... A moment when I realized like I have to stop so I stopped and I finally broke up with him and I thought I here's the thing I thought that was over right I grew out of it I was in my 20s like I was done and my bottom really hit is when I had a live-in boyfriend and he was like the first guy I was like as, as in love as I could be in love, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he was the person that, you know, if we weren't together, I'd want to be his best friend. Like, he's someone right. I really cared about and trusted and, and said, like, this is a great person. And what happened was I a mentor of mine died. And I found myself two days later on location in another city about to act out. It's like this mm. traumatic thing happened. And all that came out again. And I was like flirting and intriguing with this person about to cheat on somebody I really cared about. And I was in my dark hotel room, you know, those sad hotel rooms out on location when you're by yourself, like eating room service. Yeah. And I remember looking in the hotel mirror and going, am I going to be doing this the rest of my life? Like it can't be every other person not giving me what I need. I'm going to be doing this the rest of my life. Am I going to be on my deathbed, never connected to another soul? Mm-hmm. And it was that moment for me that I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, this is something really wrong with me. Right. And did you yeah. end up crossing the line when you were there? No. I was this close, though. I was yeah. literally that close. And it was someone – and this really what hit me, too. It was someone I didn't even like. You know, it was someone I didn't even, he was like rude to waiters and I just was like, what am I doing? It was just such the oddest thing. I found myself almost like floating out of my body being like, oh my God, this is still in me. I'm still going to do this to somebody else. Right. It was like complete self-sabotage at that point. Yeah, complete. Okay. So you have this realization Mm -hmm. and then what does that prompt for you to go do? Well, I call our mutual friend, Danielle Harris, and I'm like, something's got to give. Love Danielle. Danielle. (laughs) (laughs) And she set me up with her therapist. And I went back and I called the therapist and I went in. And she, the first session, she said two things to me. And the first one pissed me off. Like, 
really bad. She said, you wear the mask of one of my other clients. That's a high class prostitute. I was like, wow. Excuse me. Like, I was so pissed looking at her, being like, what? I, because Tough love. The, right? Yeah. And we just met. But here's the thing like, I have never had a one night stand, girl. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of sexual partners. I, for my age, especially. Like, so when she said that to me, I was like very taken aback. And then the second thing she said was, you're a sex and love addict. And, I was like, what are you talking? That's a, you know, I had the same reaction as Jana did. She's like, that's a guy thing. Like, that's right. not like a thing, you know? And I filled out these 40 questions. So if anybody's listening, there's these 40 self-diagnosed questions for sex and love addiction. You can go on. It's like, are you always trying to find somebody to fix you? Do you have sex when you don't want to have sex? Do you, you know, masturbate when you're having intense feelings? Things like that. Like, they're 40 mm-hmm. questions. And, um... I filled it out. <laughs> and let's just say I got, I think uh, you have the book. I don't know if you read that part yet, but yep. my number is really, really high. <laughs> and I got in my car and I drove down the 101 in tears, like hysterically crying. And I called my living boyfriend and I said, she says I'm a sex and love addict, like hysterically crying, like a crazy person. I'm sure somebody next to me was like, what is that girl doing over there? <sighs> But I get home and he printed up all the meetings in LA and highlighted all the meetings I could go to. Wow. And I found myself that night walking into, I don't know if you've ever been to his 12-step meeting, but like a shitty rec room in a church, which I don't go to church. So that's just weird. And fluorescent lighting there was 40 people sitting around all walks of life like an a-list celebrity to a janitor like every ethnicity you can imagine and I sit down and I listen and it was like I started to cry because I realized like I wasn't broken or alone like I just didn't get the tools to have a healthy relationship yeah so it was just a really turning moment for me to like step in and be like oh i'm i'm not i'm okay i'm not a horrible person i've just done horrible things and i'm not the only person that deals with this yeah yeah and that really made me just feel like okay like i was actually really happy lots of people hate walking in the rooms but i was really happy walking in the rooms because i didn't feel alone for the first time in my life right right so when you when you came to the conclusion that you were a sex and love addict what to you um what were your things because I know you mentioned they're different from from what Mike deals with um what are your things that classify you as that would you say well I have multiple relationships at the same time so I would overlap every relationship I would have somebody in line Mm-hmm. So that I would never have to be alone. I think the longest time I was single is like six months in my entire life. Mm-hmm. So I think that really classifies. I think always chasing that love high is a big one. Being in fantasy about what relationships should look like. You know, watching movies. You know, there's a lot of no-go movies for sex and love addicts. Like The Notebook is like a no-go movie. Like you really? do not watch Oh, girl, you do not watch The Notebook. Like, everybody Wait, why? Knows. Because that's like an unattainable, unrealistic love? 
Yes, first of all, it's a it's a it's a triangle, right? So she's choosing Got it. They're all, all right. being inappropriate, you know, and she's gotta choose between this guy that doesn't have money, but he loves her so much and he's been writing mm-hmm. her forever, you know, and then this other guy that's like there for her and 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 but then she's like torn between them and then the whole scene of like running in the rain and the rain yeah. all over and I'm you know, and like slamming against the wall. The whole thing is just like fantasy. Like First of all, rain making, love making does not look like that. <laughs> if, you, if you've ever been an actor and worked in the rain, it's absolutely miserable. Like yes. the worst time ever. I and can then, like, attest to that. You know, and love scenes are so awkward. Like you and I've talked about this. The like, worst. The worst. So you're like, can you touch here? Can you put your hand here? You can touch, you know, like it's just yeah. so awkward. So that is just one where it makes like a fantasy addict like me and someone that is obsessed with falling in love, it just yeah. triggers all that like fantasy and intrigue. So Right. Okay. Yeah. So the the having multiple relationships or lined up mm-hmm. relationships that overlapped. Um and what else? Um, masturbating when you're having a feeling is a big one for love addicts because like what kind of feeling? So we're not allowed to masturbate when we're sad, angry, lonely, um, bored, all those Mm. things because we use that as an outlet not to feel our feelings. So for me, it it looked like um, if it was never off the table for me, a lot of male sex and love addicts can't masturbate at all. Like they have to take it off the table because you're not sharing your intimacy with someone else you're getting off alone which i think Mm -hmm. masturbation is great but when you use it in an unhealthy way say i'm sad and all of a sudden i want to masturbate it's like okay wait 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 why am i sad what's going on did i my husband just hurt my feelings did i Mm -hmm. not get the job or do i feel insecure in some way you know what i mean right so that was a big one. Um, here's another thing I don't do, and I realize I can't have guy friends at all. Oh, I have no wow. guy friends. Yeah. Oh, so how interesting. Me, mm-hmm. And that's because why? Because you're well, tempted be- to. It's not tempted to. It's just any way, even if it's a small bit, any way for me to use another person to fill me. So. I believe when a male and a ra- uh, and a female are in a relationship or, you know, whoever's attracted to two, two females, right, right. One, one or the other person wants to have sex with them. Somebody mm. would have sex, usually. Yeah. You know? So for me, I just always, with my guy friends, I flirted with them. Mm. I made them like me even though I didn't like them. And I just realized I was raping them is what I like to call, raping them for their energy. So when I got mm. sober in the program, I stopped all guy friendships. I would, didn't email, talk, or text any guys whatsoever. And it got to the point where I didn't even talk to waiters when they came up wow. at restaurants because I realized I would flirt with anything and anybody. Like right. I flirted with the door because I thought, oh, this is my personality. I'm just a flirt. This is who right, I am. Right. It's like, no, That's so actually. interesting. And that brings up such a a touchy topic for so many people. I actually had um, one of my listeners submit a question, and it's actually going to fit perfectly into this right now. And that was, do you think you can be friends with an ex? And I think that ties into the same, do you think you can be friends like in a male-female dynamic? And 
it's so interesting that you say that because I can say, you know, I have a lot of guy friends. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of them are in relationships. Some of them aren't. But when you really look at it, you're like, well, no, we're totally just friends. But like, would he fuck me? Probably. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. So Thank it's, you. It's, a, it's a really fine line as to, you know, you know, I, I believe that you can have healthy relationships with with the opposite sex and you've both established those boundaries and you've both said like, no, 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 like we're just friends and that's not ever going to go there. But does that mean that one of the people in their brain isn't like, well, I've, you know, maybe fantasized that about that once. Like you can't ever guarantee that. So it's a really hot topic that people debate about all the time, like whether you can be friends with an ex or friends with an opposite sex where it's not, you know, in somebody's brain. Well, I always think you got to look at it too is like, why do I want this person still in my life? Why do I still want an ex in my life if we're not together? We were intimate. We shared a connection. But once that relationship is over, what's the point of keeping it in your life? Is it fulfilling Mm -hmm. something in you that you need? Is it holding on to the past? I just found for me, and I'm just saying for me, that whenever I kept a guy or an ex in my life, it's it gave me some sort of power and control over the other person or right. living in the past or not being fully into my relationship. And that's not fair to my partner at all. And I just, it's too toxic. It's too deadly. It's too slippery of yeah. a slope to go back in for me. Totally. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it is, it's a weird dynamic when you're in a committed relationship. You know, Tay, my boyfriend, is um, friends with a few of his exes. And one of them I've even like went and had lunch with um, because we ended up being in the same country at the same time. And it was such a beautiful, weird experience for me. Um, but it, you know, those relationships are from decades ago. You know, it's not like I, I don't think I could ever go be friends with Javier and Tay would be like, oh, yeah, this is totally fine. Um, it's it's a really like weird thing to navigate. Um, I have exes from college that, you know, I mean, I, I can't say friends is the p- appropriate term because it's not like we mm-hmm. like hang out ever or talk all the time. Um, but like I I have nothing bad towards him. We follow each other on social media. We'll like randomly be like, oh, yeah, dude, how are you? Like there's no weirdness between us at all because it was so long ago um but the the more intense deeper relationships I think that's it's a really hard thing to navigate if you're trying to be in a relationship and still continue a friendship with that person yeah and we definitely when you're an addict addicted to fantasy and love and sex and all that that is just dangerous for yeah for me in all sense like it's just it just keeps me out a little bit. It takes a, a part of me away. Like even yeah. a text, like happy birthday. I do not respond to any exes texting me happy birthday. Like wow. you do not need to be wishing me a happy birthday. I wish them no ill will and it wasn't like right. a dramatic, not all of them were like dramatic. Some of them just, you know, faded away. It wasn't always so dramatic, but I just realized like, why am I keeping them in? Is it really important? Are they a part of my life now? Are they adding anything to my life? Do, you know, I care about them, but then it's like, but I don't want them in my life every day. So it's just really looking at like, why would I need this person still in my life? Right. Yeah, I totally get that. So you go into do all the meetings um, Mm -hmm. and then you're still with the live-in boyfriend that you had at the time. Yes, yes. We, um, we, you know, 
I'll go through that. That was really painful. The first year of withdrawal from a sex and love addiction or an unavailable person or a breakup or, you know, getting rid of porn or masturbation or cheating, all that stuff, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's torture. It's torture. It's like the worst withdrawal known to man. And I'm not saying other drugs are bad withdrawals, but for example, this one guy came in at my six months and he said, I can quit heroin, but I can't quit her. Mm. And that to me was such like, a, oh, this is like no joke. And I cried yeah. every day for nine months. Wow. Every day on the floor, crawling at the floor. And we lived in a small apartment and we had a couple rules, my boyfriend and I. He wasn't allowed to fix me. He mm. wasn't allowed to come and comfort me. Wow. Um, I was... Yeah, I was doing therapy twice a week. I was going to four meetings a week. Um, and we didn't have sex for the first year of my sobriety and sex and love wow. addiction. Yeah, because I couldn't, I didn't have my sexuality. I was giving it out in like mm-hmm. dirty secret ways. And mm-hmm. I didn't, I always felt like I was playing a role too when I would act. Oh my God, I so identify with that. I, I there, there was a moment where I looked at myself in the mirror and was like, why am I like fucking putting on a show and performing for all of the people I'm having sex with? Not all of the people. I sound like I'm sleeping with the world. But it's like instead of being like, oh, dude, this is how like you need you could do something for me in bed. Yeah. You know, it always felt like this performance factor of like I have to please my partner and like let me like make it a show for them. So I so identify yeah. with that. Oh, that makes me so happy. And I even – and this is going to get a teeny bit graphic and I haven't talked about this. But even like – a guy going down on me like mm-hmm. I wasn't really interested first of all it felt too intimate like I don't mm-hmm. like this too intimate like it makes me really uncomfortable and then the second thing is like I, it, I just didn't even want them to try it was so mm-hmm. weird I would rather like just get it over with so that's right. the thing like you can be a sex and love addict and it's not about the sex right. it was about like the lead up to the sex the intriguing the like you know, first holding hands, first kissing, first doing mm-hmm. this, first doing that. I wanted that. And when it got to the sex, that just felt like, oh, I just have to do it. It's not really about this. Like, let oh, me just get it over with. Yeah. So it was this weird. I'm interested not- because you and I both come from this, like, abandoned, fear of abandonment place from our childhood. And I had mm-hmm. this, like, huge fucking revelation when I was on my FML trip in Mykonos that I was using sex to keep people in like close to me um, so that I wouldn't be abandoned. So I was literally giving up this part, this piece, this sacred piece of myself so that I could keep people close to me and therefore not be abandoned. And it was such this like twisted, fucked up circle of like, well, why would you give something like that to someone to, to, you know, keep yourself safe when the act of doing that with someone that's not going to take care of your heart is putting you in danger anyways. It was like this weird, vicious circle. Um, Do you identify with that at all? I do, but for me, when you even talk about it, it's just reminding me like I felt like I never owned my sexuality. I was Mm. sexualized at such a young age. Um, I was molested very young, which I didn't remember until I did therapy for, I think, in the fifth year. I had this, like, like I blacked it out. You know, I, I, 
always felt sexualized at a very young age as a woman. I mean, one in three women are molested at some point in their life. So I felt like I didn't own my sexuality. So I had no mm-hmm. problem giving that part of me away because it wasn't mine. Anyways, I was disconnected. I actually told my therapist, I feel like cut off from my vagina. Like I wow. don't feel connect. Like my heart does not feel connected to my private part. Wow. That's heavy. Yeah. It was a lot of trauma that came up. That's what was happening. All that pain, all that taken advantage of, all that, you know, put on a pedestal. Even when I said, I'm like a broken, like, don't put me on a pedestal because they would do that. And I was like, don't do that because my dad did that. So it was like this weird thing with the father issues. And I just kept stuffing it down with people and people and people, even friendships. I realized I use my friendships. Yeah. Like if a, I would call a friend, say I call you and I'd keep you on the phone with me for 20 minutes talking about my problems or some drama. And I would get off the phone and not feel better and immediately call another girlfriend and pick right. up the phone and be like, blah, 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 whatever. And then hang up. And I had this moment on Melrose after an audition. It was so funny. I was sitting there and I did it to four girlfriends. Hmm. And none of them made me feel better. And I go, oh my God, I do this with everybody in my life. I use them to make me feel better. Right. And that's not fair. Yeah. And like, it's never going to work unless you're making yourself feel better. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it was hard that first year, like I said. It was oh, I can't. I can't imagine. And like, as shitty as it sounds for the, you know, your boyfriend at the time to not have sex for a year, it's almost shittier to see your partner lying on the floor and not be able to go wrap them in your arms I mean like Tay would never be able to even when we're in a fight and he's mad at me and I start crying he can't not come over to me I mean I can't imagine having to just like watch that and let it happen well here's the beautiful thing he had he was in a 12-step program I think at that time he was in a 12-step program for 20 something years so he understood that my addiction my flirting and stuff had nothing to do with him right and that's what you know I really want to make apparent if somebody cheats on you if they do these things it has nothing to do with him he Mm -hmm. could be the most perfect guy in the world even though there's nothing about being a perfect person we're all flawed yeah but he could I would have acted out anyways so I think he knew because it happened to him at such a young age that I had to go through this withdrawal and we were both willing to lose each other. I think that really helped us. Like if I had to break up with him to get better for me, he was okay with that because he cared about me that much. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm going to cry. Oh, so how did that end up ending? Cause it obviously did at some point. Yeah. I mean, we're together now. We're married. Oh my God. That's your husband. Wait, stop. I didn't know that. Yeah, we're married. Oh my god, my heart. Wow. Oh my god, I'm crying. Like, we've been together for 16 years, you know. Like, I never wanted to get married. I never wanted to have a kid. I have a kid that's almost three years old, you know. And here's the thing I just have to say. Like, it's not that I went through the program. I have 11 years of sobriety and sex and love addiction. It's not that I went through the program and found the perfect partner that completed me. 
I went through the program and found myself. Like mm-hmm. I love myself more than anything today. And now I'm in a, a re- I have both feet in a relationship. I have an equal partner and he doesn't fulfill he doesn't fill me. He doesn't complete me. I don't believe someone can complete you. I don't believe there's a soulmate out there. Mm-hmm. Because if my husband Mark left me today, I would be okay. I would be devastated. Like he's yeah. an amazing guy, but he doesn't complete me. And that, yeah. So we've been together. I'm like going to cry. Yeah. I, lo- I love that. Oh my God. What a fucking magical story. And like hats off to Mark, dude. I mean, yeah, that's dude. amazing. That's amazing. So after your year of, you know, when you were first in the 12-step program, did you then have to have a conversation of how you were going to reintroduce sex into the relationship? Oh, yes. What was you that like? This is the worst. It's the <laughs> worst. So it was like we had a lot of exercises and things. Like we had to like hug and not do anything. And like mm-hmm. I would want to squirm out of the hug because – intimacy was just too much Mm -hmm. because if I loved you I didn't want to have sex with you pretty much Mm -hmm. like you know it's I you see me too much so we really had to slowly incorporate you know like laying naked together and it not turning sexual which was so awkward for me because I just want to like Let's just get this. And like eye contact during sex, which I'm like, eh, stop looking at me so deeply. Like, <laughs> so Don't look into was, my soul. <laughs> yeah, like stop looking at, like I want to just close my eyes. You know, and it was things like that. And still, and I'm going to be transparent, like still to this day, sometimes it's hard for me. I don't want to be completely intimate and seen all the time. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was torturous. That was like, a six-year process of like wow bringing it back in and then you know we would be intimate and then a part of me be like let's do it again and he'd be like whoa 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 like no so it was like a bunch of just testing the waters bringing it back in in a healthy way wow what a journey you two have been on together yeah totally unbelievable (laughs) um so then what inspired you to write this incredible book that you just released, which is a, an Amazon new release bestseller already? Yes. I'm so proud I of know. you. Well, for, with your help, you totally. Well, yeah. Me. For the for the for everyone listening, I I kind of mentored Brienne in the process of what it's like to self publish. Kind of. Well, yeah, you I did, did. <laughs> to self publish and and yeah, how to like do it without a publishing company behind you. Because um, I think you and I were similar in the sense of like, well, we can go shop it to publishers, but even if it gets picked up at a publishing company, it's going to take two hour or two years to fucking yeah. get it out into the world. And both of our souls were like, no, 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 this needs to happen on our timeline. Um, so what inspired you to put all of this into your book? Well, I just have to say, I'm so grateful for you. Any, any chick is lucky to have a mentor like you. So you really guided me on so many levels and I couldn't have done it without you. Honestly, like I will be saying your name in praise for like ever. So I just have to say that. Yeah. Um, to be so giving and open and transparent and like the ins and outs, that just means so much to me. Um, 
But yeah, I never, I think I was like you, like, I'm not a writer. I, you know, first of all, I'm dyslexic and have ADHD and I just terrible at English and I'm like I'm not the writer just give me the dialogue and I'll go act it out so Mm -hmm. what happened was I hit a decade of recovery and sex and love addiction and in that program it's really hard to get time so once you have 10 years or so you're like an old timer I'm an old timer I have like sponsees all over the world I speak all over the world you know I do these big 45 minute shares um so what happened, I was doing the show with Jana. We were working on the show together, pitching the show. And my husband looked at me and he goes, there's this like writing course. I feel like you need to take it. And I looked at him like, are you insane? Like, what are you talking about? I'm not taking a writing course crazy. Mm-hmm. And, he, and girl, he just kept mentioning it over and over again, six times. And finally I'm like, fine I'll take it he's like listen you take it it's not that much money if you don't want to finish it just try it just try it and I was like okay it's a 90-day writing course and I wrote the first draft in 45 days like it was like something was coming through me yeah yeah it it wasn't me and when I say I wrote the book like it wasn't actually me like something bigger than me wrote the book and the process of like rewriting it and then all these stories came out of you know, my imagination, my own experience, other people. And I just created this character that is me, but it's not me. It can be, her name's Roxanne. She can be anybody. And and the reason I gave her the name Roxanne is because I heard the police song. Yeah. You know, (laughs) Roxanne. Because like anybody could be, you know, go to dinner and do a sexual act they didn't want to or have their rent paid or get a purse. You know, like we Mm -hmm. all have done some kind of Roxanne-ism um, so yeah, I, I wrote this about this girl that is some of, you know, it's, it's kind of a memoir. It was a memoir at first, but I changed it to fiction, aroma cleft fiction. Cause it's like a self-help, uh, memoir and like chiclet kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And she goes through her first year, which is very similar to mine, um, in sex and love addiction and being an actress and how she navigates Hollywood with having this disease. And there's a lot of stories from being on set, other people, other celebrities. I've changed all the names so no one can sue me, as you know. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, it just became bigger than me. And it was something that as soon as it was down on paper, I just knew it had to be out there. I knew I had to step forward and say, hey, I'm a face and a name to this disease. So I wrote an I wrote an article before the book came out for HuffPost and it hit, you know, 1.2 or 1.6 million hits the first couple of weeks. And I just got all these people outpouring to me saying, oh my God, I've done that. Or my boyfriend does that. Or my girlfriend Mm -hmm. does that. Or my wife is like that. And it just made me like, okay, this is bigger than me. I need to actually be of service to the world now and just not my community of sex and love addicts. Yeah. And I think that's amazing. The more that we speak out and share our own experiences and our own traumas and it it really so many people benefit from that because they realize that they're not alone. And then we in turn benefit from it because we realize we're not alone. And yeah. I want to point out, you know, I know everybody saw me post about your book when it came out, but um, I want to point out that 
it's very much when I read it, I was like, oh, this is totally my vibe because it's rare that I find a book that's written like mine in the sense of like there's F-bombs and you're like talking to the person and it really feels like you're having a conversation with whoever's writing it and yours really encompasses that. And I think it's so fun and so different. And, you know, I know the people that like enjoyed my book are going to really resonate with it too. I mean, I would be so lucky. I mean, your fan base is amazing. But I did have this guy. I gave it to old timers and sex and love addiction because I was scared. Like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, are they going to think I'm talking bad about the community? This is like saved my life. And this, he said it sounded like a long share. Like the entire book, he read it in a day, and it just felt like a long share. I because love when it. You go and, yeah, when you go and share in a 12-step meeting, you literally just throw out all your guts. You're like, here I am. All the bad shit, all the things I think, all the subtext I never tell anybody, all the stuff that happened to me, here it all is I am raw and open and vulnerable and just have all of me. And that's what I wanted to do with the book. Yeah. I, I think you hit that directly on the head. And Thank I mean, you. I it's only been out for what, like a month, not even? No. I By the time this airs, out. it'll it'll yeah. have been out for a little while. But still, I mean, yeah. it's, it's wild to – I know that that – that first wave that you're writing is so crazy. Um, but I know that it's going to help so many people because it's it's a topic that doesn't get talked about enough in depth. You know, I, I think we hear about it in like gossip mags and, mm-hmm. and news stories, but we don't really get the inside like detailed look behind the curtain. And I think this book really does that. Yeah, and I think the like the thing I wanted to do is everybody sees sex addiction or love addiction as this made up disease or that it's not real or it's not deadly. And I have to just say, I have so many friends that committed suicide over their partners. I've I've spoke at jails for two and a half years where people murdered other people because there was a love triangle or they sold drugs for their partner or they did all these things to keep their lover. And this is a deadly disease just like drugs and alcohol. It kills if you watch any Dateline, it's always yeah. a love triangle. Someone's always cheating or doing something. And I just really wanted to make a book that wasn't clinical, that wasn't so educational. Because, you know, you get one of these sex and love addict books and it's like, ugh, the first page. And you want to just mm-hmm. throw it against the wall. And I just really wanted to entertain people but also educate them that this disease is killing our society and the social media the dming the swipe left swipe right always looking for the next shiny glamorous thing to fill us is really affecting this younger generation so i feel like that it's my duty and all the shitty things i've done in the past like i'm making up for it now i'm like making a living amends and that's the whole reason I wrote it. It's not for me. It's for the people that don't have the voice to say, I've done these things or that has been done to me. Oh, I love that. I love that. And good fucking on you for it, girl. Tell everybody Thanks. where they can find your book and the title and all the good stuff. Yeah, it's Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. It's on Amazon exclusively. You know, just write in Secret Life Sex and Love Addict if you can't remember the whole the whole title. And, or or if you want to sign copy, go to secretlifenovel.com or come visit me on Instagram at the Brianne Davis or TikTok because you made me join. I did. The, you did. <laughs> at the dot. Uh, Brianne Davis so yeah 
I'm just so grateful for you. Honestly, I adore you. I love you. I've told you a million times. I feel like you're going to get sick of it after a while. but I, I, I promise you I never will. And I'm so proud of you. And thank you for coming on and opening up and being so vulnerable because I know this episode is going to help a lot of people out there. Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you for having me. I want to thank Brianne again for coming on and being so open and sharing her story. I hope you guys really didn't look at it from necessarily a sex addict point of view, but just a human point of view, because I feel like so many of the qualities and the traits in her addiction that she spoke about um, come up in a lot of people's lives that have dealt with abandonment and fear and that needing love. Um, So I hope that you were able to listen from a neutral standpoint and really take away some good tidbits that uh that she shared with us today. Okay, it is about that time we are going to dive into your FML stories. Hi Gabrielle, my name is Genevieve. We have similar life stories. I married in 1997, not out of love, but I settled. We had three kids together and between that time I lost my father to suicide in 2000. Later, he had lost his mother to cancer. Our marriage was a stressful one, mostly due to finances and his lack of keeping jobs. In 2017, he he was having an affair with his co-worker, 18 years younger than him. I caught him and kicked him out. There are other stories that followed. Fast forward, post-divorce, four years later to current. I get weight loss surgery. I lose 112 pounds. Caught the eye of a formula popular high school guy. Imagine my feelings. He pursued me entirely. He was divorcing, second marriage, made me feel like absolute sunshine, as I did for him. A month and a half later, after strong universal connections and talk of a future plans together, he pulls the carpet out, saying he needed 30 days to get through his divorce. Mind you, I am leaving out all the red flag and details. I had not heard from him in those 30 days, which broke my heart and a lot of gray area. Your story of Javier made me realize a lot of things that made me cry many times and inspired me to write a closure letter to my love affair and strong consideration to moving to another state away from where I have been all my life to start fresh, although a trip to Europe would be more exciting. Girl, I can so identify with marrying someone, you know, not, I mean, I didn't at the time realize it was settling, but I married him because he was safe. So in a, in a way that is. And I'm so happy to hear that you made the decision to remove yourself and start fresh and that it inspired you to write a closure letter to him, which I did listen to and I thought it was beautifully written. And, you know, that's what's so great about sharing our stories, the fact that you can read my journey with Javier and discover things that happened in your relationship um, and then begin to heal those things. So I'm so happy to hear that you've turned over a new leaf and are moving on from that. So congratulations, girl. I'm Catherine, and here's my FML story. I was with my husband for five years and married for only a year and a half. We were having issues ever since the wedding day because I found out the week before I walked down the aisle This gym-obsessed meathead had been lying to me about taking steroids for our entire relationship. With him having a prior substance addiction, this was a big deal. Red flag. 
even as we honeymooned in Italy, we argued over his betrayal. Funny enough, when I was leaving Rome, Gabrielle was just arriving there on her epic trip. A year and a half later, the tension and arguments in our marriage were constant. I traveled a lot for work, and with his latest work promotion, he had begun to travel to Maryland on his own work trips. One day, while cleaning, I found a birthday card addressed to my husband, but not in my handwriting. Seemed he had been seeing this woman in North Carolina for three years. He was cheating even while we were engaged. He was never going to Maryland. Gifts, flowers, many vacations together. He was truly living a double life. He even sent her flowers the week of our wedding. I found all the evidence in our bank account and filed for divorce. Not only was he cheating, but also dealing drugs. After a few months of healing, I took a solo trip to London and was finally beginning to move on. I returned and got asked out on a date by my ex-husband's hockey roommate, a man who was a guest at our wedding. So I gave him a chance. Cut to today. I've never been happier, and I have to thank my toxic ex for bringing this amazing man into my life. So remember, everything really does happen for a reason. Oh my God, Catherine. Um, first of all, I can relate on um, finding certain substances, those specific substances um, being taken. So I know how jarring that is when you find out um but i mean dude sending her flowers the week of your fucking wedding like what is the point of even getting married what is the point of like doing all the things if you are in a full-on other fucking relationship and living a goddamn double life i will never understand it's so exhausting i do better people do better (laughs) um And then cherry on the fucking cake to get asked out by a guy that was a guest at your fucking wedding and cut to you being happily ever after with him. Um, This is a great fucking story (laughs) Um, and so indicative of everything happens for a reason because what if you had never had that fucking wedding and he would have never seen what a beautiful badass bride you were. Oh my God. I love it. Um, and I am toasting you from afar um, as our paths crossed in Rome, girl. Much love. Next week, I am bringing back my producer slash best friend, Jacqueline, and we are doing a full-on questions episode. So a while ago, I put up a question survey on my Instagram, and you guys flooded it with a very good variety of questions, I must say. I mean, we're like all over the map. We've got some personal questions. We've got some book questions. We've got some travel stuff. Um, and I'm bringing her on to co-host with me. And we're just digging in in a very uncut style of uh, of FML talk. So that is coming at you next week. As always, make sure you guys are subscribed so you never miss an episode. Keep up with us on Instagram at FML Talk Podcast. And until next week, have a self-love cocktail on me. Cheers, guys. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. 
we will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.